some of the things about how we set up agricultural trade systems are so old school, it makes you laugh because you can get almost anything that Amazon will deliver you left on your doorstep, but you can't get a ship docked with 40,000 tons of much needed grain without some guy who isn't allowed to go into work at that particular point in time showing up and physically being handed a document which is less than six feet apart to sign that document, which then has to go to somebody else to look at that wet ink. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 18 of Fireside Chats with Aaron. I'm your host, Aaron Gowerluck. As Executive Director of the Grain Growers of Canada, I started this podcast to serve as a forum for real conversations with industry influencers and policymakers. Today's episode marks the third and final episode in a series of conversations with ag sector visionaries. We could all use a little inspiration as we say goodbye to what has been a very challenging year and consider the possibilities that this next year will bring. I'm excited to welcome today's guest and ag sector visionary, Robin Anderson. Robin is an international expert in agricultural and food policy, working with a broad range of clients from farmers to food processors, research institutions to governments. Robin often represents organizations at the United Nations, bringing the voice of agriculture in multi-governmental processes. She coordinates the private sector mechanism representing agribusinesses at the UN Committee on World Food Security. Her savviness in international diplomacy brought innovative issues to prominence, such as the role of women in farming, land tenure guidelines, responsible agricultural investment, and the importance of food waste and global sustainability. She has also coordinated the global activities for the International Year of Pulses on behalf of the Global Pulse Confederation, reaching 1.1 billion people worldwide. Prior to founding Emerging Ag in 2010, Robin established and ran for almost 20 years Issues Inc., a leading publishing company specializing in magazines on Canadian and American agriculture. In addition to her role at Emerging Ag, Robin is involved in her family's seed farm in Dugald, Manitoba, and is the founder of Manyinga School Project, a nonprofit organization that supports orphans to learn agricultural skills through schools. In 2017, she became the youngest person inducted into the Canadian Agricultural Hall of Fame. Thank you, Robin, for stopping by for a fireside chat. Thanks, Erin. That's quite a bio. Tell me a bit about how someone growing up on a farm in Dugald, Manitoba, just outside of my hometown of Winnipeg, ends up spending most of their time working at the United Nations. I understand from reading about you in an issue, a 2016 issue of Air Canada's En Route magazine. They, they featured you. You indicated that when you left the family farm, you had every intention of becoming a professor. A history professor. A history professor. So how do you end up going from the family farm in Dugald to working at the United Nations? Well, it is a pinch me kind of journey without question. And um, I, I left the farm assuming that I would go into academia and was working in the context of the House of Commons. I was a page in the House of Commons and subsequently got a job in um, the office of the agriculture minister and assumed that I was ill qualified because I knew something about parliament, but nothing about farming. And lo and behold, it turned out 
that I knew all sorts of things about farming because I grew up on a farm. And that changed my life. That changed my career path. I realized that there was a role for people who actually did understand that there was seeding and harvest and these things had seasonality and that all these things uh, involved a lot of hard work to get done and that the people who made the policies about this didn't necessarily have that experience. And I took that first in a Canadian context and then onwards globally saw even more needs where people are talking about agriculture and food and have very little experience sometimes of the soil and what's needed to produce it. So in 2016, in this article I read, you know, you were, you were near Canada, super elite customer. Where were you going? Well, I am so lucky because I really have got to see the world through my work. Um, and I have a great passion for, for traveling. So I've been a super elite for many years. Um, right now, just because they're renewing me, I haven't been anywhere in quite some time other than the farm. Um, but I used to go regularly to Rome, where the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, the International Fund for Agricultural Development and the World Food Program are all in Rome, and the UN New York headquarters, as well as many trips to Africa and India and Singapore quite regularly in the course of the year. And actually, if it hadn't been for lockdown, I was going to Australia for the first time for a friend's wedding, whom I met through all of this, a fisherman. And um, who knows, I would probably still be there or I was going from Australia to Zimbabwe for some meetings. Maybe I would still be in Zimbabwe, but I decided not to get on the flight on March 4th. And uh, I've been in Canada ever since. Probably a good decision. But let's, so let's, let's talk for a moment before we, we, before we dive in about all of this and the restrictions that you're facing. You know, you have a, a global team. You work with about 24 people located here in Canada, Europe, the Bahamas, Africa, your work is international in scope and in nature. How have you adjusted now through the pandemic? Well, the strange thing is when I started um, Emerging Ag in 2010, I said there's no reason to have an office in the modern world. That physical infrastructure makes no sense. I want great people from all over the world to be able to work with me on these issues. And so right off the hop, that was part of my strategy. So we were set up at the beginning to be fully virtual company. And um, we'd been using Zoom for 10 years. Um, all of our file systems were set up that way. Our working protocols are set up that way. So, um, so in that respect, we were able to go. The events that we do, the UN negotiations that we engage in, many of the things that we do obviously changed, but the fundamentals of how we work, we were remarkably able to to make that pivot with very little little change in our daily routines you were ahead of the rest of us who are trying to figure it out as we go well i definitely didn't want it to have to be this particular way but yes this it proved to be fortuitous in that respect for us in 2017 as i mentioned at the top you were inducted into you were the youngest person inducted into the Canadian Ag Hall of Fame. In preparation for our conversation today, I spoke to one of the folks who was responsible for that nomination, Wayne Gale, who is the president of Stokes Seed. And I wanted to ask him why he felt you were a worthy candidate. And when I did that, he spoke to your dedication to the industry, but also more specifically about how you shaped the strategic outlook for the Canadian seed sector. Tell me a bit about the vision that you held for Canada's seed sector and why that work was so important to you. 
Well, growing up on a seed farm, um, it was a natural part of of my work. And, uh, and then I helped see the plant breeders rights legislation through the House of Commons very early in my career. So I've always had a passion that um, great, great cropping starts with the seed. And that was, I guess, built into my own DNA in my family. Um, so the, the opportunity to then move into the seed sector and further their look down the road even to see Seed Canada come together now, it's really many of those ideas were laid in work that we did 25 years ago. And one of the things that struck me most is the seed sector wasn't necessarily talking to itself or speaking cohesively. And so I created Germination Magazine to, uh, to fill that void and then ultimately bought Seed World Magazine, all of which still existed, Issues Inc., the company that I founded. So I think we did a lot to try and get people working together and to be more fully integrated into the value chain, which is part of the journey I'm on now at a, sort of a different scale, but the International Seed Federation is a big part of uh, the engagement we still do. So we still talk about seed issues all the time. Since that time, Robin, you've, you've shifted your focus to the international stage. And I believe now that the vast majority of your time is now spent working with global clients. I want to tap into your experience on the international stage for a moment. When you consider that the vast majority of the grains, pulses, and oil seeds that we grow in this country are destined for markets around the world, international trends can have a very real impact on a farmer's bottom line. What trends have you observed that you think that Canadian farmers should be preparing for? Well, one of the most obvious ones is the, the growth in the pulse sector. Right, Canada was well ahead of the curve on that. We're well positioned in this area. Protein Industries Canada creates more opportunity around value add for that. So I think those things um, are fantastic because we're, we've got some crops that we're really doing well with. Beyond that, I think it's very clear that the sustainability agenda has been coming at us for a while. We felt it, Canadians were ahead of the curve on many of these issues. But the way in which that's going to be accounted for is changing globally right now. And no farmer isn't hearing about it. Not all of it has hit daily operations, but I think the beef sector in particular has faced some really big frontline challenges that are kind of come home to roost in virtually every other aspect of food production. So just being really ready on that traceability, but also that ability to hone in on the places that things are going and make some changes will will be important to farmers in ways that aren't always as respectful to farmers as I'd like, but I hope that I can help to, to broker the gap between the reality of what farmers are doing, which is generally very well chosen, and how that's expressed to external audiences who think in some way a passion for looking after landscapes and places is divorced from farming. It couldn't be further than the truth if you deal with farmers. They care most about how that farm is going to operate. So just finding a way to communicate the good things they're doing in a way that works to others is really, really the toughest job we all have right now. So there is a piece of that at play right now. And I wanna ask you about your level of familiarity with the code of practice or the responsible grain code of practice. And you know what role you think it could play in some of these international conversations 
What do you think about that? Well, I think that the the direction of travel globally is going to involve something like the code of practice. There is going to be a lot of pressure for farmers to be able to say what they're talking about. I literally just got off a phone call with Walmart and they were talking about regenerative agriculture. We have Nestle making commitments about half their sourcing from regenerative agriculture. We have General Mills. I mean, those aren't those aren't names that are off the beaten path, right? We're all serving organizations that large and organizations of different scales. So where once we might have said, this is an issue for someone who's trying to capture a value added traceable market, whether that's clear Highland soybeans or whether that's an organic oat or any other um, specialty market, I think we're gonna see it flood into spaces where we haven't seen it before. So the code of practice is headed in the right direction of travel, um, possibly a bit more consultation and buy-in um, could advance the cause. But at a certain point, I'd like to see Canadian farmers embrace their passion the way we did in the 90s, right? I mean, it was, everybody was clear, direct seeding, tackling soil erosion, soil conservation. It was top of mind and all the net impacts it's had on reducing GHGs, um, increasing soil organic matter, improving soil tilth. We just got it together and without anybody else's external intervention, made great choices. And it's been 30 years now and the, it bears out measuring how well we've done. But we need 30 years later, some new things that we're going to take seriously. And we know that greenhouse gases and biodiversity are amongst the things that people are probably gonna ask for. So getting ready to be able to handle those things will be really, really important. And I believe Canadian farmers should take responsibility for what they're going to do and define it themselves rather than having it imposed from others. So direction of travel, right? Nuancing it to be a, um, you know, everybody to feel like they're on board together, important. But no matter what, there's some of these things are coming at all of us. Okay, and I appreciate your international perspective on that and, and based on some of the conversations that you're likely involved in. So perhaps we need to meet in the middle. There's an opportunity for farmers, like you said, to be more proactive and be prepared maybe to do more, but also take this opportunity to showcase some of what Canadian farmers are already doing on the international stage and be a part of those conversations. I would imagine that without something like a code, um, whether it's the code or something like it, that, that we may not necessarily be a part of those conversations without something to put in the window. You could talk to European farmers about farm to fork and what it means for how they're operating and see if it's not real that these kinds of things are coming at people. Based on your comments, I want to talk a little bit about the development now, if you can comment on more recently a Food Policy Advisory Council was established here in Canada. I'd like to know in your view what you think the council should be focused on and how their work may impact farmers. Well, I think the, the government's made it very clear that the food policy is part of where they're, they're going, right? And it's great for countries to have food policies. Canada is a leader in this regard because we're thinking not just about agriculture, but we're thinking about how we're feeding the country. I think the challenge right now is to marry those two concepts. So the council has the task 
and it could perhaps use a few more farmers to be successful at that task of understanding how Canadian agriculture, this tremendous success story, can actually help to supply our nation food and supply other nations food. And I think right now the policy is very much focused on how certain interventions are needed with at-risk food communities. It is a real challenge that people in the north of our country do not have adequately diverse diets and they're paying outrageous prices for their food. Canada should be leaning into that, that's wholly appropriate. But the challenge is to make it not a food policy and an agriculture policy. And I think that's the magic secret sauce that needs to happen right now. And I hope the council will lead there. I hope the government will lead there. And I hope farmers will, will find ways to show that they're part of the solution for these challenges. I wanna dig into a couple of, of specific issues or activities that you're directly involved in for a moment, Robin. Let's start with the Digital Ag Association. Emerging Ag was instrumental in its formation and is now providing the Secretariat services to the association, which aims to bring the voice of the industry to issues relating to innovation and technological and digital applications in the agriculture sector. Can you take this opportunity to introduce our listeners to the association and its work? Absolutely. Um, the Digital Agriculture Association is actually being chaired by Darren Howey, a fellow Canadian, um, though he's down with the Trimble in the US right now. Um, but the association was created because we can see so many places in the global discussions where there's a, an excitement about what digital agriculture can do. And I think one of the great stories is that it allows farmers to tell those stories, right? Um, it isn't its own story. It is the compilation of thousands of farm stories saying, look at how we're looking after our soil. Look at how we've reduced the passes over the field. Look at how we're using our crop rotation and maximizing our um, outputs while minimizing our inputs. These, these are made more possible, I think, the direction of travel for years, whether it's the four-hour stewardship program for fertilizer or other initiatives, any good farm manager is always looking for exactly that right combination of best output with least input to get a good outcome. So being able to document that and plug into systems so that if companies as large as Nestle's and General Mills and Walmart's are demanding some level of information, digital helps solve that problem in a Canadian context. But even beyond that, it is an opportunity globally. Um, one of the members of the board is Hello Tractor, which is kind of like an Uber for tractors in Africa. So farmers who can't afford to have a tractor themselves because they're farming a very small plot of land can get access to that tractor and it's paid for and it's moving with the seasons in the region. So impactful. So finding a way to talk about these things constructively is really important. Great. Thank you. So let's talk about something that we're hearing more and more about these days, and it's the upcoming Food Systems Summit that will take place virtually this September under the auspices of the UN General Assembly. This year it's billed as the People's Summit and a Solutions Summit, recognizing that food systems touch all of society and all stakeholders. What will your involvement be with the summit and what sorts of issues do you expect will be discussed that might be of interest to or have an impact on Canadian farmers? 
Well, the Food System Summit is the first one in 25 years. It's the first one that's about the whole of the food system as opposed to food security 25 years ago. So it's looking back to agriculture in a different way. And when the UN convened it, there were sort of two distinct camps, I would say. One was, it's all about rural poverty because 80% of the people in this world that face multidimensional poverty, living below $1.90 a day, living without access to education, without access to running water, without energy, without hospitals. Those people are rural, 80% of them are rural. And that means largely they're farmers. Um, and then there's the, the question of hunger. We know a little less than a billion people, about 750 to 800 million people are going hungry. And we don't have the full impact yet of COVID on that, but those numbers are, are probably going to increase sadly. So there was the poverty and hunger sort of camp. And then there was the camp of the developed countries to some extent uh, led by European thinkers in many cases who were very focused on agriculture and climate change and very focused on obesity. And so there were almost two worlds apart from each other and Canadian farmers probably aren't particularly in the middle of either of them, but they're about to be in the middle of the, either of them because this discussion is inevitably going to bring both sides of those camps together. And it's going to lead to a lot of scrutiny that's already happening on how value chains work, right? And how farmers are managing landscapes and a lot of things that, as you foreshadowed with your question about the code of practice, are going to be top of minds about how farmers are delivering on global agendas. So, you know, there's a huge amount of social media activity. I encourage farmers to get engaged in it. Um, and there's a food systems community online where you can get engaged as well as following the uh, UNFSS um, hashtags. But it's really important to get the farmer voice into this equation if we want to make sure that we're giving practical advice. And you know, a great example is, do you believe in innovation or should we go back to the way people farmed 300 years ago and then there will be no footprint is the theory. I don't believe that's actually true, but that's one, one narrative. Or do you believe that it's about digital agriculture and innovation and good decisions about seed and about crop rotations. And some of these practical things need to be put into the mix for people to understand that there aren't many farmers in Canada who are monocropping. I really can't think of any that I, I've met over the years and I've been lucky to meet quite a few. Um, that, that isn't understood. The assumption is we're all monocropping and that we aren't paying attention to our soil and that we're not measuring and managing our fertilizers appropriately. These kinds of things need to be said, but also we need to see the call to action on things like biodiversity. And be thinking about what can we do on intercropping? What can we do to be advancing that rotation? What's our next version of pulse crops that added an extra chunk of mix into the rotation? You know, when I was really little, it was probably, barley oats, wheat, and, and maybe a little bit of rye and a bit of flax. And now we need some other options in those mix. And I think Canadian farmers can do it and we prove we can. So we just have to own our next 30 years of vision. I like that. When you talked about the two camps, those, how does, 
How do the others fit into that conversation? How do we pull the Canadian context or the reality of modern agriculture in Canada? How do we pull that into the international conversation? Well, let's take a great example. You talked at the beginning about trade. Well, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the importance of local in the current um, state of play on the Food System Summit. And local is important, of course, but we also know that trade is very important. And during COVID, the irony is that many newspapers were saying, well, the solution is grow your own garden. But the reality is during COVID, our trade system was more nimble and solved more problems a year ago than local systems. There are still local systems that are fundamentally broken in many parts of the world because they deliver directly into food markets that are not conventional supermarkets that have had their own paths for outbreaks and involve large crowds gathering. So even weighing in on the importance of resilient trade ecosystems, thinking about did we learn anything when we had ships sitting outside docks waiting to deliver food to people during the pandemic who couldn't get a phytosanitary officer to have to old-fashioned have a wet ink document signed to allow that ship to, to land. I mean, some of the things about how we set up agricultural trade systems are so old school, it makes you laugh because you can get almost anything that Amazon will deliver you left on your doorstep but you can't get a ship docked with 40,000 tons of much needed grain without some guy who isn't allowed to go into work at that particular point in time showing up and physically being handed a document which is less than six feet apart to sign that document, which then has to go to somebody else to look at that wet ink. I mean, the opportunity to make this responsive and digital and more effective is huge. And we need people like Canadian farmers pointing out that we grow things really well and effectively. We may never grow mangoes here. We may never grow bananas here. If climate change has gone that far, we have a lot of problems. But <laughs> we grow some other stuff really well and we can help the world to get it in a very environmentally sustainable way. Duly noted. Just quickly before before I wrap things up with you, if if um and if the interest is any indication, I think people do want to follow what's happening with the, with the upcoming summit. How can people follow the summit? How can people get involved? So go to um, the at UN Foodsys, UNFSS um, handle. And there's also online, if you type in Food System Summit and Community, it pops up and there's a place for each action track. You can talk about innovation. You can weigh in there. So we encourage you to do that. And in fact, the Canadian government is just embarking on a series of nine um, food systems dialogues. So hopefully that will be available to people to participate. And we'd love to see you in there and encouraging Canada to think about the way in which it can make sure that that food policy and agricultural policy work together. And that is the epitome of getting a food system right. And remind me again, Robin, how are you gonna be involved in the upcoming summit? Um, I have the good fortune um, in my role as the coordinator for the private sector mechanism to sit on the private sector guiding group. So we're helping to in include business in that. And then uh, the PSM has a seat on each action track. So there's quite a lot that's going on. 
Um, and there are a lot of people working very hard on this. So let's hope we can get some good constructive outcomes. And this is all in September. It's in September, but the pre-summit is in July when ministers of agriculture will be meeting to uh, prepare the groundwork for September when the summit will be in the context of the opening of the UN General Assembly when usually the heads of state. So Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President Biden, country leaders from around the world will be meeting. So the ministers of agriculture start meeting in July. So it's only a few months. Excellent. So will you will you come back perhaps uh, in the fall when the summit is over and tell us a bit more about some of what you heard and what you learned? With pleasure. Excellent. Great. Well, thanks very much for, for joining me today, Robin. It was an honor to host you on our podcast. Thank you so much for asking me, Erin. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Fireside Chats with Erin. We'll be back in two weeks time with another special guest. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date on all things GGC, please follow us on Twitter at Grain Growers or on Instagram at Canada's Grain Growers. Until then.